So it is with you and me. The Lord delivered us from the land of bondage because He saw the blood He passed over us. It fell upon the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Continue our series in Proverbs. And our subject is the cross of Christ in Proverbs. Is there reference to the cross work of Jesus in Proverbs? We should expect it. Should expect the atonement throughout Scripture, the theme of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, as recorded in Luke 24:44, that all the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. The Psalms represents the category of wisdom, poetic literature which Proverbs is a part. And Jesus shared with His disciples the things concerning Himself. He opened their understanding to understand the Scriptures. That the things which were written noted that Jesus Christ must suffer and rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name. And we're told that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he showed his disciples the things concerning himself. So is there anything in Proverbs concerning Christ, his cross, and his gospel? Well, let me say there's a verse, for instance, in Proverbs that says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to seek out a matter. And so, indeed, there may be truth concealed in the now, which also refers to the hereafter. Chapter 30, in verse 4, the principle of revelation is that God must come down to reveal His Word, His wisdom, and His Gospel to us. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? What is His Son's name? God had to send His Son to reveal truth to you and me. And Proverbs has a few noted, repeated Proverbs. And one warns that there are dangerous paths that lead to destruction. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death which would include works righteousness, trusting in pedigree, and mechanical liturgy, I warn, to the Protestant church, that we can engage in perfunctory action carried out with minimum effort. In other words, we engage in minimalistic religion, or minimalists, casual careless, superficial, lackadaisical, 
worship. God wants our hearts. And so if there's a way that seems right, and the way thereof is the way to death, wouldn't it be in a book of wisdom, in every book of wisdom, to show us the way that leads to life? The way that you can know that is the right way. There is a way that is right. And a book of wisdom would point to that way. The way of the cross. And I do believe that Proverbs gives us such texts. For instance, we read together in chapter 3 and verse 3, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, The word mercy is the word kesed, which speaks of covenant love, covenant loyalty. It's a a, a word of salvation that God covenants with sinners to save them. For instance, in Psalm 85.10, it says, Mercy, same word, and truth, same two words, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. In other words, you have justice and forgiveness that are coupled together. We're saved um, by mercy and truth. The mercy part is God's forgiveness. God's love and the truth part or the righteousness part is His justice, His wrath being placated. And at the cross we find mercy and truth combined. Covenant mercy and God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And truth is that Jesus died for our sins. He suffered the wrath of God. So mercy and truth is a gospel couplet wherever it's found. And that word for mercy is what David said in Psalm 109.26, Oh, save me according to your mercy. He's saying, save me because you've promised to do so. You've covenanted to do so. And we would also say, indeed, that that covenant mercy includes the justice of God punishing sin in a substitutionary sacrifice. David was saying, remember you, your covenant relationship that came by way of truth, by way of the atonement. Second Samuel 7, the promise of a Redeemer through David's line, my mercy shall not depart. From you, And then that same couplet is found in chapter 16 and verse 6 where it says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So you see the Gospel and the result of the Gospel in 16.6. By kesed, by covenant mercy and truth, by peace and righteousness... Iniquity is purged. And the interesting thing is the word purged is the familiar word to atone. It's used of the pitch that um, Noah used to secure the waterproofing of the ark from the inside and the outside. But it's the word to atone. The familiar word to make atonement for your soul that You atone for your soul. You cover your soul. It's the word that's used of appease with a gift. God's wrath is covered. God's wrath is appeased. It's satisfied. It's placated. So by the Gospel, iniquity is purged. 
And you see the result of the Gospel, the sincerity of someone's repentance, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. A person is not saved in our sins, but from our sins. We depart from evil. So a person that says he's a Christian and continues in fornication or deceit, or we're talking about that they're habitual deceivers, habitual liars, habitual fornicators, habitual in their sin, we can't joke, we can't deceive ourselves because Paul said no fornicator, no liar shall have, their part, shall have inheritance in the kingdom of God. Don't let someone deceive you to say, I'm a Christian, I walked an aisle, I said a prayer, I'm a, I'm a member of a church, I'm a Protestant, and they continue to live in sin. Now, we all struggle with sin, but that's the key. A fornicator is not struggling, not striving against his sin. He's giving into it. It's his element. It shows that he has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. His part is in the lake of fire. But a true believer has his sin atoned for by God's mercy and God's justice. And as we fear God, it's what it took to save our souls. He gives us a new heart and we flee. We depart from evil. Yea, the gospel of the cross is in Proverbs. Mercy and truth is a tremendous couplet. Speaking of the cross of Christ, the ultimate combination of mercy and truth. So, indeed, it's revealing the great atoning sacrifice of Jesus. It's referring not to mere ritualism and liturgy, but that because of the vicarious, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus, that you and I are saved and we show it by righteousness and sanctification. Covenant love and covenant death, if you will. The blood of the New Testament is will be thinking about that especially at the Lord's table. It took the blood of Jesus for God to be able to um, be a benefactor of salvation to our souls. It's the death of one that writes a will that causes that, that is when the, the will is released. Is the, the benefits are distributed. Jesus had to die for the will of God to be opened and to us to receive the benefits of the inheritance. It's a free gift. And so we find indeed that there is a way of the cross that's the way of salvation as we find in the book of Proverbs. You would also look for verses that refer to offerings, sacrifices in Proverbs. The type of Christ who is the ultimate offering. Chapter 15 and verse 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is His delight. Notice, it's, it's not just simply the, the sacrifice of the wicked is giving money in the offering plate or His generosity or His or is uh, philanthropy. It's referring to the fact that wicked people go through the motions of worship. Like Cain, 
at the at an altar. Uh, there are many people in hell that offered sacrifice at altars in the days of the Old Testament. And there are many people in hell that went to Protestant churches that may have been members, may have been clergy, may have been elders or deacons. But they were still wicked. They weren't justified. The word wicked is referring to a it's a forensic term. It's a legal term. It's not a moral term like uh, like uh, um, iniquitous or someone who is a trespasser or someone who is filthy. It's, it's a parallel in Proverbs and in the Scriptures with righteous. Just like it says here, the sacrifice of the wicked is abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the righteous or the upright or just, they're in parallel. So what it's saying is that the, the wicked are showing insincere worship. They're claiming Christ by offering a sacrifice, as it were, without the reality of repentance and faith. Now, it could have gone on to say the sacrifice of the wicked is abomination to the Lord, but the sacrifice of the upright is His delight. It just uh, offered a different idea in its place. The prayer of the upright is His delight. Now, why is prayer parallel with sacrifice? Well, the idea would be not that prayer is a substitute for the sacrifice, but that the upright are praying while they're sacrificing. In other words, they show their sincerity and their understanding of what the sacrifice means by their having communion with God during their worship. Where the wicked come mindlessly. They daydream. They put their money in the offering or they sing the song or listen to the sermon, but their heart's far from God. They're not praying to God. They're thinking about themselves or daydreaming about something else. But the believer in worship is showing a sincerity of his singing, of his, pray, of his praying, of his, of his listening, of his giving by interaction with God. They're sensing, they're singing to God. They're praying to God. They're listening about God. So there's that interchange, that inner interaction. Do you have interaction with God when you're worshiping? Or are you just giving lip service? Or are we just, uh, again, just just having uh, dead liturgy, going through the liturgical motions without a heart? In Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. There's a Gospel text. It's saying that someone might try to conceal his sin even if he goes through the motions of, of confessing sin. There's a concealing of it. But the person that's saved, like the, the uh, publican that couldn't lift up his eyes to heaven, he smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There was the confession, but there was the desire to change, be merciful to me, be propitiated to me. He was understanding that God was angry at his sin. And he was saying, be propitiated to me, a sinner. The word merciful there is the idea of be propitiated. Lord, I'm not trying to cover my sin. I'm asking that you cover your wrath. 
you cover your wrath by the atoning work of, of the Redeemer pictured in the offerings. Are we sincere in our repentance? Do we confess our sins and forsake them? Is that the idea? I want to, I want, I, I, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me of my sin and help me to overcome my sin. I want to change. I want to no longer sin. Do we fear to sin against God? When we're washed in the blood of Jesus, aren't our thoughts, oh, I just, just take me home to heaven. I don't want to sin anymore. Like that one woman who was saved from a, a wicked life. And, <clears throat> and she said, I, I just don't want to live any longer. I don't want to sin again. I'm clean, finally, first time in my life. Oh, you can be clean for the first time in your life by pleading the blood of Jesus. Don't conceal your sin. Don't hide it. God knows our hearts. You can't hide anything from God. The best thing to do is just to come forward and say, Lord, I'm a liar. Lord, I'm a luster. Lord, I'm a covetous person. Lord, I'm mean. Lord, help me. I'm a sinner. Save me from my sin. Deliver me from my sin. Have mercy on me. The offering is there in Proverbs. The Gospel, the offering. <clears throat> and then and again, we, see, we read in chapter 21, verse 27, the sacrifice, the offering of the wicked is abomination. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? In other words, what, we, what the Lord is showing here is that someone can, can, can bring a, a, a correct means of worship like a sacrifice in the Old Testament, but they have self-righteous thoughts. They're yet still impenitent. They have evil motives. How much more when they bring it with a, a wicked mind? Today, someone could attend church for the sake of business or professional contact. Or, like a wicked man said, I guess if it will help my golf game, I'll go to church. Narcissistic worshipers. Now, the value of sacrifice is not diminished because someone brings it with a wicked mind or because a wicked person may sacrifice. But the Bible's teaching that ritual does not replace repentance. Repentance includes ritual. If you're saved... You'll want to pray. You'll read your Bible. You'll attend public worship. And the warning is when people make excuses, I'm a Christian, but they neglect the ritual. They neglect the liturgical. Because they say, well, the heart's the most important. That's true. But if your heart is clean, you'll want to obey the Lord when He says, do this or do that. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. We're insincere if we say it's, it's in the heart. But the heart desires obedience of the external. The internal and the external go together. You deal with the internal and then you'll deal with the external. There's a generation that are pure in their own eyes, Proverbs 30 verse 12 says, but have not been washed from their filthiness. So you see there the, wretch, the ritual self-righteousness a generation that are pure in their own eyes 
but are not washed from their filthiness. I have done no evil. I've gone to church. I've been to the confession booth. I've read my Bible. And their heart is far from God. And, and yet they can go to church and, and then turn around and cheat, lie, and commit adultery and fornication. Oh, beware of misplaced confidence. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It seems right. In other words, they're depending on this way. It seems. The word seem is not a, is not a, a shallow word. It's, they're confident that the way that they're taking is right. But the end thereof are the ways of death. The picture there, is it not? You're driving, you're riding down a road and you're sure that the road continues. How many people have done that? They turned down a road and they didn't realize it was a dead end. There was a cliff there. Had no clue. Recently I read of a man in the dark who took the wrong road. He thought for sure the road continued. But at the end of the road, a bridge had been long washed away. And there was a, there was a, 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 a gully at the end. A ravine. And just continued to drive until it fell in to his death. That's the picture of the person that says, I know I'm right. I'm praying my rosary. Mary is, is an immediate tricks. God will surely count up all the contributions I've made to, to, to religion. He'll count up all the philanthropic deeds that I've done, all the people that I've helped. They're confident that the way they're taking is the right way. But the Lord says that many shall say to Him at that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in Your name? And He will say, Depart from Me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. I never knew You. Oh, my heart hurts at times as I sit in the bus and, and watch these religious people, kids, just in a line, going into the buses, coming out of the religious school and I think don't those poor kids understand do they understand they're being taught works righteousness idolatry mariolatry and it's just like a long line I see it's just like the Bible says the sheep headed for the slaughter I was there I'm not pointing at my feet at others oh surely God's accepting me I've gone to Confession. I've taken the Eucharist. I'm an altar boy. I'm a good boy. Till the Lord opened my eyes and showed I was a filthy, rotten sinner. That's what we need to see. Oh, deliver souls. Deliver us from misplaced confidence. Find the right way that leads to life, I beg you. The Bible speaks of in Proverbs about despising the right way, despising Christ in the cross. Is there not a suggestion in chapter 16, verse 6, or 6.16, God hates hands that shed innocent blood? What do we, who's the most innocent person that ever lived? I find no fault in this man. 
Even his wife said, have nothing to do with this just man. It's interesting how just a few verses later, Pilate says, I find nothing wrong with this just man. But Pilate, you're guilty. Not as guilty as the high priest who delivered Jesus unto you. But you knew he was guiltless. And you feared the multitude. You did them a favor so that you would not lose favor. And you delivered over Jesus to their will. I am innocent of the blood of this just person. And yet, Jesus, the cosmic crime was murdered. The greatest man, the holiest man, the only sinless man that ever lived. And there is a verse that is right on. Fools make a mock at sin. Chapter 14 and verse 9. That word for sin is translated trespass offering over and over again in Leviticus. It's translated in Isaiah 53.10. He made his soul an offering for sin. So, fools make a mock at the sin offering. Mocking true religion. Mocking when feeling or convicted of guilt. Because the word is guilt offering. I have done no wrong. I'm a good person. But especially it mocks the cross of bloody religion. Christianity is a slaughterhouse religion. They, they mock at the atonement of Christ as the only way of salvation for the sinner. Isn't there a more genteel way to be saved? Isn't there a more a cleaner way? Isn't there a, a more respectable way than the way of the cross? The way of Jesus being nailed to a tree? As it says in, in Corinthians to the, to the Gentile, the cross is foolishness. They mock at the sin offering. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block. But to us which are saved, the blood of the cross is the way of salvation. We glory in the cross. Do you glory in the cross? Pray that we'll glory in the cross. Declare His glory among the heathen. Oh God, forgive us for insulting You with cowardice, the fear of man, embarrassment of the cross. Help us. Indeed, despising Christ in the cross is found in Proverbs. It is. Proverbs speaks of the Christ of the cross. There's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. There's a brother that's born for adversity, for a hard place. Isn't that not suggesting the ultimate brother, the elder brother? He was born for adversity. The word adversity means a hard place. Oh, our backs were against the wall. We were looking up. We were dangling over hell. And oh, Jesus came to deliver us from our adversity, from the wrath of God, from hell itself. And the guilt offering, Jesus is the guilt offering, chapter 14 and verse 9. You see, Christology is in Proverbs. 
soteriology, the study of salvation, is in Proverbs. Righteousness delivers from death. It's a great gospel text about soteriology. It's twice found. Chapter 10, verse 2 and 11, verse 4. It's not riches that deliver from death. It's not self-righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness that delivers from death. Jehovah said, Kenu. Righteousness delivers from death. And the Bible says, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You need the righteousness of Christ. You need His life and death imputed, credited to your account for you to obtain eternal life. Remember what we read together. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them about your neck as a promise from God. Write them upon the tablet of your heart. That's faith. Trust in God's promises. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Make sure that mercy and truth have, have become your friends, are united to you. I like what Someone said about Proverbs 23, Goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. And they said, that's too mild. The word follow is the word pursue, run after us. God's mercy and truth pursue us. They run, they, they, they race us to the end. They're dogs on our heels. God will not let us go. He's chasing us into eternity by His Gospel. Chapter 20 and verse 6 says, faithful, A faithful man does, um, does not proclaim his own loyalty. He proclaims Christ's loyalty. Is that not a Gospel text? Chapter 20 and verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Self-righteousness. But a faithful man who can find. The word goodness is the word covenant mercy. What did we do to obtain our own salvation? Everybody is boasting about what they've done. What did Paul say? God forbid that I should glory or boast in anything outside of Christ, but in the cross of our Lord Jesus. We boast in Him. A faithful person boasts in Christ's loyalty. And then just a few verses later, verse 9, Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? Isn't that a gospel text? You and I say outside of Christ, none of us. We're all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But in Christ we say, I am clean. The blood of Jesus washes me from my sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God sees us as Clean as Christ, as righteous as Christ. And what is the righteousness? What is the, the, the clean linen of the saints? The righteousness of the saints in Christ. I love that text. I tell you, it's a terrifying text if you're lost. Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? My heart is unclean. My heart is black. I am impure because of my sin. But because of Christ we can say, my heart is clean. I'm pure from my sin because 
of the atoning work of Christ. I love that threefold thought of God's covenant with us. Chapter 31 and verse 2, it speaks of a, from a mother, but she's claiming the right as a mother to this king. And she's pleading that he'll listen to her on these grounds. You're my son. You're the son of my womb. And you're the son of my vows. Look at that gospel, those gospel thoughts. It goes backwards from your actual experience. As we come before the Lord, and as He speaks to our hearts, He's saying, I have leverage with you for you to listen to me, for you to follow me, for you to obey me and love me and, and worship me. You're my son. You're the son of my vows. I'm sorry, you're, the, you're my son. You're the son of my, the womb and you're the son of my vows. Do you see three gospel thoughts there? We're saved because God vowed us to be saved. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And when He chose us, He made sure that we became born again. We're sons of the womb. And now we're sons that belong to Him. And what was that threefold that, that I preached a sermon on this one time, that we are, we are beloved, we are belonging, and we are... And I forgot the other one, but it says here that we are, we are gods by way of vow, by way of birth and by way of belonging to Him as sons and daughters of God. What a gospel thought in chapter 31 and verse 2. And I close with this thought from Proverbs. Proverbs also tells us we need to proclaim this gospel of the cross. Chapter 20 and one, chapter 1 and verse 20, Wisdom crieth without. She utters her words in the streets. How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? Turn at, you, you're my, turn at my reproof. This is wisdom. The wisdom of Christ. The wisdom of the Gospel. The personification of our proclamation of the truth. The Lord does not hide it in a corner. He says, cry without in the streets, in the concourse where people are. Is it says of Jesus, I did not keep thy, thy, heart, thy words, thy, thy gospel from the great congregation. Chapter 8, verse 1, Doth not wisdom cry? She crieth at the gates. Unto you, O men, I call. Here! These are durable riches in righteousness. They're, in, they're substance that you inherit. You'll find life versus loving death. Like John 3.36, He that believeth has life, but he that disbelieves does not have life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Chapter 15 and verse 30. A good report makes the bones fat. That's the good news. The Gospel. Good report freshens the soul, changes the heart, saves a sinner from hell. In chapter 25 and verse 5, isn't this a Gospel text? For the Gospeler as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Where has this good news come from? It's come from heaven. It's come from a far country. Jesus came down from above. 
Oh, people will say, that's a verse for business success and military victory. Oh, it may be. But when Paul quotes from Nahum, how beautiful are the feet of them that, that uh, bring good news is the idea. That text was used of, of uh, heralds returning with the news that the Assyrians had been defeated or news that the enemy had been defeated. It was a military victory that was used of beautiful feet coming back with good news. And you know what Paul did? He expanded it. He didn't, he didn't twist the Scriptures. How does Paul use the verse, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news? He uses it about the Gospel in Romans chapter 10 and verse 15. In other words, he gives the ultimate application of that, of that text in Proverbs and in Nahum. And so again, you have the, the now and the not yet given in so many texts about the Gospel. And we can't end without the evangelists in chapter 31. Do you know that the Bible says that the, the virtuous woman... And you know, as I was looking up the, 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 the word keset in Proverbs and in the Scriptures, as I looked over into chapter 31 of Proverbs, I thought, you know, a virtuous woman is, is shown to be a good wife, a good mother, a philanthropist, and, and uh, just skilled in so many areas as a businesswoman, as, as a homemaker. And I thought, surely there's got to be a text here that says, it gives us the spiritual realm of this virtuous woman. And there is a tremendous text. Chapter 31 and verse 26. It says, She openeth her mouth with wisdom. And what is that wisdom especially? And in her tongue is the law of keset. This woman is a woman that is spiritually minded. She's burdened for souls. She's not just concerned for their, for their economic welfare, that they'll have food in their stomachs and clothes on their backs and, and, a, and a roof over their head. She's concerned that they'll be saved, that they'll be forgiven, that they'll be right with God. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and that is the tongue in her tongue is the law of Kesed. Law means teaching. Fixed truth. The fixed truth that salvation is by the blood of the atoning sacrifice. Oh, Proverbs, indeed, is a book where you can find the cross of Christ and the Christ of the cross. And as it were, believers, Christians, who proclaim the cross the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Not in those exact words, in words that are synonyms for Old Testament believers, Old Testament evangelists. But you find the cross in Proverbs. Do you love the cross? Do you proclaim the cross? Do you plead the cross work of Jesus? Let us not forget whence we have been saved who saved us and that we have been saved in order that we might proclaim this salvation to needy souls. And God gives us this drama, as it were, this picture of the cross, the body and blood of Jesus,
to stir up our memory again, to stir up our devotion, to stir up our love, to stir up our burden, that we might be zealous believers for our Lord Jesus Christ. This is wisdom. And you remember that other text. He that winneth souls is wise. Indeed, the cross of Christ. Lord, thank You that You are the theme of Your Word. You're the theme of Proverbs. The theme of every book. You said in the volume of the book it is written of Me. Lord, we rejoice where we see You. We, we rejoice that wherever we study Your Word, we find Jesus. We pray that we would make Him known. Lord Jesus, meet with us around the table. Let us see through the bread and the wine and see a body was prepared for You. The curtain, the veil that would be rent. And the wine, we see through it to see Your precious blood the blood that was shed for our sins, to, to, to cover the wrath of God, to wash us from our iniquities. So Lord, continue to be with us and meet with us. Send Thy Spirit throughout the world. Continue to bless Your Word and save sinners and rob the devil of that which he has stolen. O Lord, You restored that which You didn't take away. We took away our innocence. We believed the lies of the devil. Lord, thank You that You took our place, bore God's righteous anger, saved us from our sins. Oh, if we only just get a, con- a constant a constant view and hear from the portals of hell the groans of a lost soul. Oh Lord, thank You for giving us joy and a song in our hearts delivering us from so great a death. We pray this and praise Thee in Jesus' name. Amen.